Welcome to the Freedom to Coach podcast with Gemma and Makala. We're both coaches and entrepreneurs, passionate about teaching you how to set up and run your coaching business, create more time and manage your mind. Because you're changing the world, one mind at a time. Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Freedom to Coach podcast. The podcast for coaches who are looking for more time and freedom in their businesses so they can keep on coaching. It's Makala here with you today and I have with me a very special guest, Sade Curry. So, hey Sade, thanks for joining us. Hey Makala, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. It's my absolute pleasure to have you. So, Sade, tell us a bit about what you do. Yes, happy to. I am a dating coach for divorced women. So I help uh, women who've been divorced. Typically, they've been like long-term marriages, like, you know, 7, 10, 15, 20, even 30 years. Wow. And coming out on the other side of the divorce, they're like, oh, I want a partner, but this dating world is like kind of a little bit insane. Yeah. <laughs> or I've got some stuff that I need to work through that's coming up in my dating. So it's sort of like this overlap of healing and dating for the purpose of meeting their partner, you know, and settling down, committing, moving in together, getting married, whatever that looks like for, for the person. Um, so I started out and uh, I actually started out with coaching divorced women, just coaching on healing and recovering after divorce. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that happened was after my divorce, I had to piece together like my own healing journey like there were lots of healing modalities, but none that encompassed just all of the crap that I had. Yep. You know, so I, I I pieced it together and I was like, oh my God, nobody's like there were divorce recovery things, but then they didn't all often cover like the money part or the dating part. Yeah. So I pieced together this healing journey for myself and I became a coach because I was like, they're just elements of this that I, I couldn't find in one place and I wanted to present it all together. So I started dating women who were divorcing, divorced. And as they moved through, then they wanted me to help them with dating. Cause then I had, at that point I was a coach. Then I did it. Then I got my, remarried. Mm -hmm. um, and they were like, I want to do that too. So, and then as my practice grew, I really just niched down uh, to the dating part. Awesome. So what did you do before you became a, a dating after divorce coach? I was uh, an information technology analyst. Oh, so wow. Worlds apart. And um, I think that serves me a lot with um, dating because dating is very melodramatic. Like there's just so much <laughs> drama around it. And I'm just yeah. like, you know, guys, it really doesn't have to be this dramatic. But, you know, for since time immemorial, like there's just been so much narrative. There's a lot of narrative around relationships, relationship status, especially for women. Mm. There are labels and there are what you should do, what you shouldn't do. For a lot of women, like we've been given this narrative over thousands of years that our value is in being of use to a man mm. as a wife to bear his children who will then be of use to him. <laughs> you know, on his farm or whatever. However, this nonsense started. Yeah. And so that narrative is still there in most cultures. Like women are still seen as that. And so we take that into dating. Even 
the most feminist woman has this subconscious internal bias as to what her value is uh, to uh, in relationships. And so that I think is what creates a lot of the drama. So me being an analyst and an, I studied engineering in college, what I did was I sort of brought this process where it's a little more structured to dating. Like it's, it's part of it is a numbers game. Part of it is quality control, mm-hmm. right? Part of it is having a process and having a step-by-step way of looking at it, even though we are still dealing with the narrative and the healing, like all of that stuff is still there. But I try to help my clients separate it out so that they're not like in this spin all the time. Wow, that that's a really cool way of of thinking about it. That's really awesome because I don't like getting a job. Yeah, <laughs> and it's very dry and boring, but it works. <laughs> so, what was it that actually prompted you to make the leap between or from IT to coaching? Was it yes. purely your it was own my story? Yeah. But there was a little bit of my um, rewriting my story that came in there. So one of the things that I did, because I was in a, I was in my my marriage, I mean, from start to finish, when they signed off on the paperwork in court, it was 20 years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was 20 years. I was 20. Anyway, so. So 20 years passed and I looked at my life and all of those, and I was married to a very narcissistic person. Like I remember wanting to go back and continue my studies. I wanted to go to Bible school. There were all these things that I wanted to do over those 20 years. Mm -hmm. And he always sabotaged it. Like I looked through like applications that I had made to colleges and things. And I was like, there was like, it seemed like during the marriage, every, every two years, I would try to like break out to do something amazing. Yeah. And it, always get pulled back somehow and I was like dang it like there's just so much that had happened and when as I was coaching myself and healing and recovering I had this sense and then almost divorced women have it of like wasted time I felt like those 20 years were wasted mm-hmm. but then I also knew that that was just gonna be a terrible way to think about it so I sat with myself and again I was using tools from everywhere. And this is just the way they all crystallized in my brain was, all right, if I were 19 again, so I got married at 21, 19 was when I believed the narrative that I needed to find a husband quickly, Mm -hmm. right? And so I I said, if I were 19 again, and I could speak to my 19-year-old self, what would I tell her to do? And I sat down and I just wrote everything. And part of it, at, at 19, I had just read like Tony Robbins' book. He had written, he had just written the Awaken the Giant Within. Yeah. And I read it and I had just gotten into personal development. And I wanted to like, I, I had actually started doing classes on campus for people mm-hmm. to share what I was learning from his book. Literally, I was a coach. <laughs> I didn't know that's what it was called. Wow. I thought I was a motivation. And I said, I would tell her, that's what you're supposed to be doing not looking for a husband, you need to be doing that. And forget this engineering technology thing. That's not for you. You hate it. Take that and run with it until you're successful at it. And I wrote some other things about relationships and things that I would do. And I literally, that became my playbook for for the rest of my life. So after my divorce, I literally took that playbook and said, well, at 19, I didn't do those things. It took me 20, you know, 20 years later, I hadn't done it. But I was like, now I'm 40. I have plenty of time to do to run that playbook. 
Mm. I was like, I could live till 80 or 90. There's so much time, like literally there's. And so I just ran that playbook and I was like, okay, we're going to become a coach. And when I got my first certification, now I have three certifications. Oh, <laughs> like, wow. Um, I started my practice while I was still working my full-time job. I took clients like I would, I'd wake up at six in the morning and take clients that were in the UK. <laughs> I had some clients who lived in the UK. Then I'd go to work. Thankfully, I worked remotely, so that was easy. I just went from my bedroom to my office. And then I would work all day. Uh, and my work was pretty hectic, so I couldn't take you know clients in between. And then I would take clients in the evening. And I think I had a practice of like about four to six clients during that Working period. Working full time. Yeah. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, that's um, that's a really cool story. That's awesome. So Thank you've you. always you've always had that coaching thing there. I have. I'm that friend who like has been coaching and giving advice without consent her whole life. I'm wondering why people <laughs> like her. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> awesome. So, Shade, the reason that um wanted to get you on the podcast today was. To talk about, and this, I wrote this particular phrase down because it came out of your mouth and I thought it was fantastic, about marketing the icky stuff. So tell me, tell tell us a bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm, and I'm speaking completely from my practice. So I, you know, I was married to a person I consider narcissistic. So, you know, I don't know if he would ever be diagnosed as a narcissist or not, but definitely narcissistic. Um, he had bipolar, which he refused to treat. <laughs> See, the icky stuff is coming out already. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> he would not treat it, even though he had a diagnosis, he would not treat it with medication or therapy. Mm. So of course, all of that dysfunction was just within the family unit. Um, and after my, you know, during the separation, I didn't even know about codependency, but when I started going through recovery, I went through 12 steps recovery. I discovered that I had, whether, however you want to say it, whether I was codependent or had codependent, you know, behavior patterns, whatever it is, but these are all the words that like people don't want to hear. They don't want to hear about divorce. They don't want to hear about codependency or narcissism. They don't want to hear about abuse. They don't want to hear about domestic violence. (laughs) They don't want to hear about any of that. Like, that's just a buzzkill in the world, right? So when I first came out as a coach, I was just talking about all those things. I was talking about domestic violence. I was talking about abuse, emotional abuse, narcissists, toxic people, all of those things. And I, I ended up having like a huge following. Like people were following me and making comments. And of course, like, there were trolls and things. But um, when I started actually like trying to sell coaching, it, I, and you know, of course, at that point, you, you start to like wonder, okay, is, is my messaging right? Do people want to hear this? Do people not want to hear this? Who am I attracting? Like, as you start hearing about marketing and sales. And I think I, along the way, I, I got the message that like the, the words I was using and all of these words were um, bringing in people who didn't want to pay. Mm-hmm. And I'll never know if that was true or not. Like, I'll never really know if I could I could have marketed in the way I started out marketing and still made money or not. Like, like I can't go back and change that. But that was the sort of like the impression and the messaging I got from like, I had my, my very first uh, one-on-one business coach was just like, ah, 
you know, you want to be elegant, elegantly vulnerable. Like, don't talk about all the icky stuff. <laughs> like, it was like, sell something beautiful and amazing and like shiny and like things that people want. Yeah. And I swallowed that message initially and changed my, I think I changed my, and that I changed my messaging to be more about, okay, your life after divorce so that I could sell all the beautiful things. I could sell, make more money after divorce. I could sell, get a partner after divorce. I could sell, you know, live your best life after divorce. But in the end, when my clients came to me, they had all of, they still had all of these problems. Mm. And what I found out was even within my practice, there was a little bit of detachment that was, I think it, it sort of gave my clients the impression that like, what they had been through was shameful. That there was something shameful about having been married to a narcissist mm-hmm. or be having codependent behavior patterns. Like there was something wrong with them because I wasn't using the language that they were using for their experience mm-hmm. because of sort of like how I was starting to like see things. So there is a I think the the way I I started looking at it, you could say a year or two into my practice was, I need to think about my person, who am I helping and how does she refer to her problem? Yeah. Because there are multi-million dollar CEO company owners who are experiencing domestic violence. It's just what it is. Yeah. And I have coached some of these women (laughs) who are amazing. I mean, earlier this year, um, actually right at the beginning of 2023, I spoke to a physician who had been in the the most appallingly toxic marriage for over 20, well, maybe almost 20 years. Like everything that we don't want to talk about, the abuse, the psychological abuse, the domestic violence, all of that was present. Mm. This is a bright, brilliant, beautiful human you know, who like, and the impression I was given was, yeah, don't talk about that stuff because your uh, ideal clients, and I'm holding up air quotes, don't know, they don't want to hear that. That just, you know, and I was mm-hmm. like, no. So now I do use, um, I do talk about those things. I mean, I'm not pounding, <laughs> I'm not plastering emotional abuse everywhere, but I will say what it is. Like it's, emo- this is emotional abuse. This is verbal abuse. Um, domestic abuse exists. And when I teach about that, I'm helping a larger group of people for free through my content. Yeah. And then there is a subset of that community that is able to afford my services. But if I don't talk about it, then one, I'm not helping the larger community, whether they can afford it or not. Yeah. And I'm not speaking to the experience of my person. Yeah. You're not validating what's been going on. And, I mean, that's what we as humans all want, isn't it? Validation of our experience. Yes. Yeah, we do. So I'm sort of on this, like, shift in my business where I'm starting to write more about that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, yes, have the sales post or whatever, but just have the post that just helps women. Because one in four women will experience some kind of relationship abuse one mm. in four and i don't know i feel like that's conservative yeah. so literally we're talking about every woman's every woman's experience 
you know, most, many women will come out of those and go on to have healthy relationships, but it doesn't mean that they haven't experienced either a boyfriend or, you know, a husband or someone along the way. One in four women has that experience. Mm. So it just makes sense to talk about it and like pull the lid over it. And just as a coach, believe that, yeah, the person who can afford my services will pay for it. And the other people will get help when I talk about it. So as you've shifted back into the space where you are talking more about this stuff again, have you noticed a difference in like the feedback or your following? Um, I think, I know I, I, I do have a, I think I have a deeper connection with my clients, the people who actually work with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, so I've noticed that there's a little, there's a lot less, like, there's just a lot more freedom in our sessions. Yeah. There's just a whole lot more freedom. They can use the word narcissist and I'm not trying to like tell them, well, that's not a C. <laughs> and when I say C, I mean circumstance where as a coach, yes, I do try to show my clients that, okay, you know, you, you choose your response to the world, but there is such a thing as a narcissist. It is a thing that exists in the world. Mm. Right. Or if, like using the word toxic people, that was a period in the, at least the coaching community that I'm surrounded by where people were talking, saying things like, well, there's no such thing as a toxic person. And I was like, you know, in my community, there is like among divorced women. Yeah. We all know toxic people. That's mm-hmm. a circumstance. <laughs> we just take that as a fact. It's not useful to spend any time dissecting whether a person's toxic or not. Mm-hmm. It's a useful model for describing an experience. So I found that like within my, um, my clients, there's a lot more freedom. There's just a lot. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a better validator of their experiences. And because I validate their experiences, we're able to get to solutions faster because then we don't have to go through that, like really technical part of like, well, is this true? Is this not true? Did he really do that? Did he not really do that? Which I think is awful for someone who's been through, you know, abuse to then have to dissect her experience again. Mm. Um, in my marketing, um, I think what's been interesting is that since I have shifted, you could say in the last six to eight months or year, I have had a couple of people who have come to me wanting to work on the, the impact of the abuse. Like that, I don't know if I want to partner and I don't want to partner just yet. Like if I did want to partner, I'd work with you, but you sound like you've been through this recovery process that really worked for you. Would you be willing to like walk me through that? And so I've, I have attracted some people who want to work, walk through that recovery process, who want to walk through that healing process. Mm-hmm. And so that, and of course I, I do work with them. I think that's been very, um, that's been very gratifying for me because I do have that knowledge. I, my first certification was a trauma recovery certification. So it's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can't talk about trauma without it being sort of icky, yeah. I guess. You know, you know, and, and I don't even know if that's icky is the right word because it's like, it's just life. Mm. It's life as it really is. These are things that are happening, you know, all around us. Yeah. And I like that, um, like, as you've kind of highlighted by you using this language, you've given your clients the permission to use the language. And like, it, it, I know the difficulty of 
when you're having a coaching session with someone and they're being so careful to pick their words, you know, (laughs) and just being able, like removing that um, barrier, I suppose, in the session, I can really see the value in doing that, just giving, you know, it's it's not just about um, validating their experience and allowing them to be heard. It's also just giving them the permission to, to use the language that might not be acceptable by other people, but you're just like, you know, it's, it really um, reaffirms the safe space. Yes, it really, it really does affirm the safe space, you know, and, and anyone who's been through kind of like kinds of things I've been through or my clients have been through knows that you can't just tell anyone what you've been through because they face so much invalidation. Yeah. Right. Like we face so much invalidation as like, but did he really do that? Or like, yeah, he was abusive. Yeah. But did he hit you or, you know, things like that. And so these are people who are looking for safety and it's not commonplace. I mean, it is getting to be more commonplace. Thankfully, Mm. one of the things I love about the internet is that while it's done some, it's created some really crazy things. It has also created this language around this experience that people were having, it's created some safe spaces where people can talk about abuse. And yes, there are places where people wallow in the abuse. I will acknowledge that. However, I think that's still better than it being shrouded in secrecy. It's still better for us to wallow in it than for us to be in secret and alone mm-hmm. about it. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a continuum. We want to get to the other, <laughs> to the other end. But um, yeah, you're right. It, it, it does make you feel really safe. I know that I have safe people in my life that I can talk to about what's happened in my first marriage or in my childhood. They're not many, right? But it has, um, it has been such a healing thing to know that there are places I can go to just talk about my experience and it's accepted. Mm. So with this, this is going a little bit away from marketing, but I think for the coaches that are listening that do that either are coaching in these sorts of spaces or would like to but don't feel prepared or brave enough to step into that just yet um I want to kind of touch on the um I'm trying now I'm trying to find the right word the want of a better term the issue of mental health like have you had clients come to you and you've you know, gone, hold up, they actually need, you know, a, a counsellor or a psychologist mm-hmm. or like, have you, have you experienced yeah. that? I mean, there are, like, I have experienced that most of my clients work with me in tandem with a therapist, depending on where they are in their, you know, divorce journey. Yeah. Um, therapists are really helpful on that journey. And divorce is such a, it's such a big journey that like, I would, I wouldn't claim to be able to handle all of it on my own, no matter what, like you have the people who are going through the divorce, like they're just, they're just thinking about leaving yep. <laughs> and they need a divorce coach. Then there are the people who've left and they're in the court system and they need a divorce coach, a different kind of divorce coach for the court system. Cause the court system is very traumatizing. Yeah. Depending on your situation, it can be extremely traumatizing. And I, and what's interesting is that I know divorce coaches kind of like at all of these points in the journey, mm-hmm. 
Um, so I, I, uh, a colleague of mine is a high conflict divorce coach. And so she helps women who are in the thick of the court system. Yep. Um, and then there's the healing and recovery part of it. Right. And therapists are really useful, especially I'll, I'll mention this divorce. If you had childhood trauma, divorce will like break it wide open. If you have childhood trauma that you have not handled or processed, it will like double up and come back on top of the divorce. So when you're going through a divorce, you're dealing with the trauma of the divorce and then the trauma of your childhood, like just wow. breaks wide open at the same time. It is, it is, it is a deal. Um, and so I think at least for me, um, so my first therapist was not very helpful. I will say that. <laughs> but being in therapy, just being in that space where I could talk about it was helpful. Hmm. So in, for me, even having a bad therapist was better than no therapist at all at that time. Yeah. Um, and then there's coaches, there's recovery coaches. And so that was my first real wave of healing came when I signed up for six weeks of uh, recovery with a coach who dealt in narcissistic abuse. Mm -hmm. And it was like night and day after those six weeks, it was like the sun came out <laughs> over my life. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like night and day. And I've been in therapy for like a year. So there are, there are different roles. And I think when we're going through a divorce, we don't realize that like there's all these, all these different parts. And I've forgotten your question. So you're going to have to remind me what I'm no, supposed to okay. ask. Um, I was just, I wanted to kind of share like in any experience that you've had with oh, right. client okay. and needing to suggest that they maybe engage with the therapist or someone okay. as well. So there was one person who, and I did not take her on as a client. I made that recommendation on the consult call mm -hmm. and I did that because, and I, and then I referred her to a colleague colleague who was who is all who is a coach and a psychiatrist i said hey if you really want to work with a coach this person may be better qualified to work with you and the reason i had done that was so she had experienced domestic abuse mm -hmm. um and she had not done any recovery work or therapy work she had divorced the ex but but she was and this was in the middle of the pandemic so she was alone and isolated in the middle of the mm -hmm. pandemic yeah, was online dating during the pandemic and was having really terrible experiences. Yeah, right. She was having like the, the men she was meeting were just really not good men at all, and her thoughts and the way she thought about her ex husband who had been so abusive that he had broken her arm was that he was her best friend. And I was like, okay, so there's a lot going on here, mm. right? So first of all, there's the divorce. There's the fact that her thoughts about her ex were still very codependent. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, I'm not, I can't, there's, that's, and that's not a diagnosis, but like, which is a whole healing journey to be able to see the abuser for who they are. It's a whole journey on its own. We were in the middle of a pandemic and she had had suicidal ideation mm -hmm. in the last six months. And she was having terrible dating experiences. So while I could help her possibly improve her dating experiences that would be really hard because that's just a small sliver of what was happening with her yeah it sounds almost like that would have been putting the cart before the horse right and that's what I told her I said hey you know I can help you it's not that I can't help you but 
I really think your mental health is way more important than finding a partner, mm. you know? And, and she was, she was kind of hurt by it. And I get that, you know, because she knew what she wanted and she's an adult and she does know what she wanted. Like she wasn't wrong in that she wanted a partner, but without a team together to work with her, or at least a coach who understood that kind of mental health works because like I don't think that she necessarily had to go to therapy but she needed someone who understood that journey there were other journeys intertwined with her current journey of dating yeah that needed expertise that I didn't have and I didn't want to give her the impression that I could get her to the finish line without that without the, the other supports yeah so what I get from what you've just said is really the importance of knowing your place in the process yeah yeah 100% where you really fit yeah 100% and when I do tell my clients like you don't have to heal perfectly you do not have to heal perfectly to meet a partner like there's no such thing as perfect healing but you know, and, and these are all questions that generally I would ask, or, you know, clients will tell me on the consult call kind of where they are. Mm-hmm. And most people, this is, and this is like, I would say I've done, you know, hundreds of consult calls at this point. And that's really the only time I've said, Hey, you know, I, I care enough about your outcome that I don't want you out there meeting these guys <laughs> and having to like protect yourself and build up boundaries and set boundaries when internally you don't feel really good about yourself. Mm. Absolutely. Swinging back around to marketing. So how how exactly, like you were saying before that what you were doing or what the coach suggested you do, and I wrote the term down because I thought it was a good term, um, elegantly vulnerable. So when you were kind of doing that and you were, you know, you were selling the beautiful new life with the rainbows and daisies. So how does that differ from what you do now? Like obviously it differs in the language, but what are you, what are you selling now? Like what, what's the vision or. Right. How is, how is it different? So prior to, so initially you could say initially, I just put everything out there openly, like whatever happened. Um, and then, and I wasn't selling a lot, so I didn't necessarily know how to structure a sales post in a way that inspired people to buy or demonstrate my expertise. I was just talking about all the ick, (laughs) which interestingly, I still try and still purchase from me, even though I did that. Then there was the middle part where it was like, okay, this is all this structure and it's to be elegantly vulnerable and things like that. Um, I think the way it looks now is that I write to my client because I know her so well. So, and I, for newer coaches, this might be a little bit hard. Like I just had to, I had to go through the journey. I, did. I write to my client as she is. Yep. As she so is, it's the a person who's going through that. <laughs> okay. So that's a really good, because a lot of the advice is write to them as they want to be, but you're saying that for you, mm-hmm. yeah. it's really as she is. As she is. I mean, I tell her how how I can help her get to where she wants to be. Yeah. But she won't believe me if she doesn't also, my client won't believe me if she doesn't also feel like I know exactly what she's doing right now. Mm, Yes. Like 
for some of them right now, she's, you know, dating this guy who is always out on business trips. And when they're together, he's criticizing her half the time. And, you know, she, she still thinks she's being too picky. Mm. Right. Or she was the person who, um, you know, experienced the, a guy blocking the front door, her, her ex-husband blocking the front door and taking her purse and her keys, um, or, um, road raging down the street because he was angry with her because she laughed too loud at a party that they were at. So even though she's this amazing woman, she's like, I can't, who do I tell about this experience of road rage? Or who do I tell about the fact that he hit me? Like, who who does she tell? And so I have to say those things and there's nothing elegant about it. Mm. (laughs) It's just what it is. I have to mention those things. And when I do talk about it now, I think there was a period where I was writing to almost like not, not writing to me. I was writing to impress my coach and other coaches. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like my middle, the middle part of my journey was, Oh, I was thinking about other coaches looking at my copy. Uh-huh. I was thinking about business coaches looking at my copy yep. versus my client looking at my copy. Cause my client doesn't know anything about what sales copy is supposed to look like. My client isn't thinking about, or oh, whether she structured it properly. My client isn't thinking about, is it elegant? My client is like, I'm on the floor in my bathroom in a puddle crying and trying to figure out how do I get out of this dark bubble that I'm in, mm. and, right? And then if I write about that, she'd be like, oh my God, that's totally me. Because what's fascinating is emotional abusive relationships are like cookie cutter. But you don't know that when you're in one, you think you're the only one having this experience. Yep. But when other people start describing their experience, it is literally like you could go down the list and it's like, it's the same things. It's the control, the abuse. It's like, wow, it's this. So it's actually not hard to relate to my client because I've been through these things. So it's like, I was making it harder on myself by like, I don't know, I don't know, mm-hmm. trying to like write to, because um, I, I, I re- actually remember this period where I was trying to write in a way that matched the model, right? Like yeah. we have the model at the life coach school, which I adore the life coach school. I'm a big part of the community. But I remember as a middle of the road coach, reading my copy from the eyes of the model and trying not to have any thoughts in, not having any circumstances in there that look like thoughts or things. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> I was like, cares <laughs> I don't care my clients don't care don't care and I need to not care about the people who do care yeah I like that <laughs> yeah so tell me what's and we can move away from the marketing bit um now because I think what you've said has been really it's been really interesting I've actually written down taken a lot of notes from what you've said because Gemma and I on this podcast actually talk a lot about knowing your client and your client avatar and all that sort of thing. And I do it um, in my day job as a business coach as well. Um, So I think like, I love everything that you said about that. It's like, really just focus on your client. It's it's your client, your client, your client, your client, just know them so well. But you as a business person, so what 
what's one of the most important lessons that you've learned in your business? And it doesn't have to do with marketing, just Ooh. as a coaching business. Wowzers. That's a big one. Um, yeah. So I think for me, my biggest shift, and I think I didn't, I had to go on the journey to realize this shift was waiting for me. Mm-hmm was you have got to examine your money stories. Oh, like, okay. You just like, and I didn't know because I'm I'm a I'm an A-line person. Yeah. I'm very much like, give me the playbook and I will go at it. Right. And I'm also a good communicator. I like people. Like I had all of these ingredients, I still have all of these ingredients. And like it's all those ingredients brought me success. However, I couldn't break a certain ceiling in my business mm-hmm. because I had money stories. So um, like looking back, when I look at the journey, my um, I think the maximum household income that I had ever experienced was probably like about $160,000 between, um, you know, spouse, myself, all together at any point in time. Yep. And so I, then I set out to be, you know, a coach and I was like, okay, I wanted to make a hundred K and beyond made a hundred K that getting to a hundred K was like actually easy for me. Mm-hmm. Right. But I didn't, I thought it was because I was awesome. <laughs> I didn't realize because it was still below my money ceiling. Uh-huh. <laughs> so getting to a hundred K was like my first year I did about $2,000. My second year I did $75,000. My third year I did $140,000. And then it was like, that was it. It was like just repeating. I was repeating that mm-hmm. because my max household income of all time had always been about, I think maybe the best year was 160. And I didn't understand why I was doing what I was doing and everything was great. And I was like doing everything else my colleagues were doing and I was showing up and all the things and I just couldn't break that ceiling. And so I had a money story, like in my nervous system, my nervous system would not allow me to bring in more money. Okay. It just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so how did you get past that? Did you get a coach or what, what did you? Yeah. Do? So, I mean, I did get I, my business coach, my business coach initially, I think that, that was the first time I realized I had the problem mm-hmm. was I remember, you know, raising my hand in my, uh, my mastermind talking about like, I was like, the money just keeps going out. It comes in, it goes out, it comes in, it goes out. And I don't understand. And she was like, and so she really coached me and it was amazing. And she, you know, walked uncovered was like I was very focused on the scarcity I had like the scarcity in my nervous system mm-hmm. and I was so afraid of the scarcity that no matter what I did there was a bunch of there was like a lot of my energy was locked up in not being in scarcity and so my creativity was lowered because I had just so much uh, drama around being in scarcity okay yeah and that helped and then, you know, as time went on, I was like, I still, that, that was the first step, which is awareness. So yeah. her coaching, my business coach coached me and that brought the awareness of the scarcity. And I kept working on it. And I was like, mm, it's not, it wasn't shifting. So I think my belief was always like when more money came in, then the scarcity would shift. And I think I just kind of ran that treadmill for probably another, another six months. And I was like, oh yeah, this is not, it's not budging. So I hired well, a money coach. I wanted to hire her one-on-one, but I was, I, at that point, I literally just didn't have the cash to hire her one-on-one. So I joined her program, uh, Serena Hicks. Her, her money program is called the Boom Boom Room, and it is amazing. And literally, I went in there 
and I started like doing the work. Like, like the first three months I was in there, it was just me like connecting with my nervous system when it came to money, mm-hmm. like looking at my money stories and seeing how it showed up in my everyday. Like when I sat down to write copy, what was going on in my head and in my body around money, like mm-hmm. going through my day, how was I thinking about money? And then like, of course, doing all the exercises that she had, um, recommended and what I, one of the things I did was I actually started like almost like 10x in the exercises so there was one one of her exercises is like an appreciation for money mm-hmm. you kind of write an appreciation for money and things like that and I had had this exercise that I had done before on my own where I wrote a hundred of my like I wrote like my money journey from when I was a kid like all the things that happened around money there were there were a lot of icky situations around money in my life like just starting from my earliest money situation that felt icky, I would say I was probably like maybe seven. Mm-hmm. And there was a situation, and, and but like, that was just like a running commentary through my life. Like, yeah, <laughs> a whole, that's a whole other podcast. But let's just say I had a hundred icky money situations that had happened over my lifetime. Yeah, And then I, I took this exercise that my money coach talked about and She said, yeah, so you start looking for where money has shown up for you. And I was like, you know what? I bet there are 300 money, positive money stories that I have neglected because I was paying so much attention to the icky money stories. Mm -hmm. And I I gave myself that assignment and I started to just look throughout my life for where there had been miracles. There had been miracles of money where money had showed up, where I did gain a benefit or an asset or whatever, even while the other things were happening. And I think that was what broke loose my sense of scarcity, my sense that money was hard and that it was a struggle. And um, I just needed to hustle. and I needed to prove myself. And it was hard for someone like me and all of that. And yeah. And since then, it's just been, it's been way, way easier, way better. Um, I think I'm at, at this point, at least in 2023, it's like, I think I'm all, I'm tripling like my like when you, you know when you go through your payment processor yep and it tells you like uh, to date what you made to date this year what you made to date last year yeah. and mine is like three hundred percent like it's three times what I made and like it's just it's just saying I'm like oh there it is that was the thing that's it was the money stories wow that's amazing thank you for sharing that that's awesome. That'll, I'm sure that'll give a lot of people something to really think about. Yeah, I hope so because I had done everything else. Like I could write copy. I was showing up. I was serving my clients. I am an amazing coach. Like my clients will tell you, like I'm I'm really good at what I do. Um, I mean, I had visibility issues in the sense of like, you know, posting on social media makes me want to vomit just like everybody yeah. else. Yeah. But yeah. I would still do it. Like yeah. my A-line for the most part was impeccable and it was just it was that and and even my beliefs like but you even working on my beliefs wasn't enough I literally had to go into my you could say my belly my nervous system and this story that I had around money Mm. no that's that's really really interesting information I'm actually going to go and have a bit of a a think about some of the things you've said it's like oh yeah okay I can I can potentially see something there. <laughs> so tell us, Shade, where can our listeners find you? 
Yes, so you can find me uh, pretty much everywhere online. So one of the rules of marketing that I break is I'm on every platform. I don't care who says otherwise. (laughs) So yes, you can find me on all the platforms, Shade Curry, S-A-D-E, last name Curry, C-U-R-R-Y. My website is S-A-D-E-C-U-R-R-Y.com. At Shade Curry on Instagram, Shade Curry Life Coach on Facebook, and just search for Shade Curry on LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok. Wow, you really are everywhere. I mean, I told you my A line was impeccable. Yeah, true. <laughs> Shouldn't be Some surprised. Some hustling, highest colleagues like just doing all the things. Like, why not? And um, do you, are there any? Do you have any freebies or anything you'd like to share with our audience in case some of our coaches are? you know, going through divorce or coming out the other side, looking at dating again? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, my biggest freebie is my podcast. Um, It's the Dating After Divorce podcast with Shadi Curry. So like a a ton of my thought leadership and my ideas are on there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do have a freebie that I think is amazing and unique. It's the 50 green flags of a healthy relationship. And I wrote that because a lot of women and a lot of my clients would get hung up on, well, I, I found the 10 red flags, but he still turned out to be terrible. I was like, yeah, because there were no green flags. I was going to say, you'd never hear green flags. It's always the red flags. There's a billion red flags. You will be searching for them your whole life. It's actually easier to look for green flags. Yeah. And then you can see if they're missing, you can move on. And if they're present, you can hang around. So if you go to my website, shadycurry.com, you can get on my email list and download the 50 green flags. It also comes with a webinar that I did on how to know when he's the one. Mm-hmm. So you get to enjoy that as a little bit of an extra as well. Uh, but yes, I just go to my website or follow me on social media or DM me and say, hey, I want your 50 green flags. I'll get it to you. Awesome. Fantastic. And so if we had to condense everything you've talked about today down into one key message that you'd like our listeners to take away, what would it be? Um, so I would say one, know your client really well. And yeah, of course that might take some time. So don't beat yourself up if it takes you a minute to really know who your client is. Once you know your client, don't be afraid to say what you want to say to them. Mm. Like on my podcast, I know there's a couple of podcasts where I've talked about how like, I don't like my ex, right? Because there's this like belief that like, yeah, you should forgive and like your ex. I'm like, and I'm like, "Mm, I don't, I mean, you could, but like, this this is where I am right now, right? I don't hate him, but I don't like him and I don't want to sell this. Um, I don't know, like fake patina of being perfectly healed or perfectly forgiving and all that stuff, because that's a stretch for many women going through divorce or after divorce. Like, why? Why do they need to forgive their ex if they're doing, you know, like, so I, I will say things that as they are. Mm-hmm. And I have found out that like that works, like that works for my clients because that's where they are. Like, I'm not bitter. But, and I'm not angry. I'm just like, I'm just like, I don't think he's a great person. And I'm, I, I allow myself to say that that gives them permission and they can connect with that energy as well. So know your person, speak to them where they are, where you are. And the people who connect with that energy will reach out and hire you. Yeah. Like I have a 
I did a podcast episode like in 2020 and talked about narcissistic. I use all the words, narcissistic abuse, my ex, all the things. And like one of my clients who has now worked with me for two years, she has renewed with me every time, <laughs> said, I listened for the first five minutes and then I went and booked a call with you. And then I came back to listen to the rest of the episode. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. You were just speaking the language. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming along um, on today's episode with me, Shade, and for sharing your experience and the wisdom that you've learned along the thank way. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Every Anyone who's interested in what Sade has to offer, please, in the show notes, you'll find all the links and everything that she's just shared with us. So you can contact her there. And, yeah, don't, don't be afraid to talk about the icky things because that just might be where your clients really connect with you. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed it, hit subscribe. If you'd like to learn more about how we can give you the freedom to coach, then check out our website, www.freedomtocoach.com.au. Until next time, take care and keep on coaching.